0: Let us pray. I'm eternal and everlasting. Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and your mercy. We are thankful that you have given us this high privilege to gather together to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is incapable of focusing or understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that God the Holy Spirit, who is the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move now to the next section of First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. I'm going to read the whole thing and then come back and pick up some verses that we focus this morning. It reads, The body is a unit. Though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. for We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the food should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It will not be For that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It will not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? If it as it is, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with, great, with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our Presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that each parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now I don't know if you have read this part and you just say, What's all that about? You have thought about it. We're going to go, before I even get into this, is we live in a time when even Christians allow the society to define the way they use words. There are certain words that uh, once we hear it, we go one way or the other. And I realize that those words are biblical. It depends on the context. And we're going to see it throughout this section. The word, if you listen, because... You know, people who make more noise, people pay attention to them. But if we Christians should make noise, it should be noise based on the gospel. Not on what goes on with the people in the society. So, here we're going to deal with something very uh, special that God the Holy Spirit has put here. But the way it's laid out here, you know, you scratch your head or let's... Uh, by God's grace some things have happened to you you just wonder what's all this information about parts of the body anyway now this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 26 is without doubt concerned with body and its many parts and how they function or related to each other Thus we can say, there are really three subsections that the apostle dealt with the subject of body and its many parts. He begins the section by indicating there is, here is it, unity and diversity in the body of Christ, really, but in in the body here, in verses 12 to 13. That forms the first subsection of this section. Now, in verses 14 through 19, the second subsection, they are forced to focus on the parts of the body. And in the the third subsection of verses 20 through 26, he considered the matter of treatment of body parts. Now, so we can say, That the apostle really had a simple theme in this section, which is that unity and diversity are important components of a body. Again, the theme that he is really conveying here is that unity and diversity are important components. Of the body, so one of course can spend time examining the the passage in light of these subsections that we have identified, but that will not really convey the purpose of the apostle in introducing the subject of body and its many parts in this section. Uh, uh, in this section, soon after mentioning the divorce. Spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives each believer. Now you see one of those reasons why I believe you cannot know the Bible. You cannot interpret it correctly if you don't go through it verse by verse the what we're dealing with. Because without what we dealt in the previous section about different uh, spiritual gifts... Then it will be difficult to see what the apostle is talking about here. If you just read this section myself, without diving to realize he was we are dead, just finished with different, different spiritual gifts, it will be difficult to understand this passage. Anyway, so for this reason, we approach or we approach our study of this section of First Corinthians differently. Now, this means that we'll consider it as concerned with a universal message to the Church of Christ with individual responsibilities required of each believer in Christ. So, to this end, we state first the overall message of the major section of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 26 and as we consider each subsection we will deal with a believer's responsibility that emanates from a given subsection so we state the overall message of this section which is unity And diversity are essential in the body of Christ. That is, the church of Christ. Notice what I said. I said, unity and diversity are essential. Now that doesn't sound what you hear from the public today. Because they are talking about different contexts. Unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ. And if people really understood it, you realize that uh, just kind of make a little bit uh, refresher for you before we even uh, do some review later on. Think about the fact that when we studied Genesis, I told you from the study here that one of the greatness of this country is its diversity of people. And people don't think it's a strength. We well, don't know the Bible. <laughs> but part of it is pastors are not teaching. That we have to see. That's why this message is important. That unity and diversity are essential. I didn't say they are essential in the body of Christ. That is, of course, the church of Christ. Now, it is this message that we will expound by focusing on the responsibilities that you have as a believer as we consider the subsections that we have identified as covering the section of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 26 that we have before us. Now there are at least three reasons we present the message as being concerned with unity and diversity in the church of Christ. Although The passage is focused on the parts of the human body. So there are three reasons. A first reason for this approach is how the apostle began the first sentence of the section in in the Greek of verse 12. Now, although the translators of the 1984 edition of the NIV... They not translate the Greek conjunction that should begin verse 12 in the English, but the Greek begins with a Greek conjunction that has several usages. For example, the Greek conjunction can be used as a marker of inference with a meaning of something like so, or then, or by all means. Or it can be used as a marker of cause or reason for something, in which case it may simply be translated because or again for. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it is used as a marker of clarification or explanation, implying that it is used for the explanation of the importance of different Spiritual gifts in the Church of Christ, though uh, he did that through analogy of the body with many parts. Now, in effect, the Apostle is about to explain, using an analogy of the human body with its many parts, the necessity of God giving the various spiritual gifts to various individuals in the Church of Christ, as he sovereignly determines that the Apostle thought of already, that we have studied in detail in verses 4-11 to of this 12th chapter. So it is for this reason that we know that the Apostle is concerned with the concept of unity and diversity in the Church of Christ. Now, by the way, most of our English versions begin verse 12, with the conjunction for. But the 2011 edition of the NIV begins the verse with the phrase just as. That's how they began the 2011 edition. Just as. Which, of course, is a translation of the first word in the Greek of this verse. But the translators still did not translate uh, a Greek conjunction that should read for, that you see in many English versions. So, for that reason, that word for tells us he's explaining. You have all these different gifts that we talked about, especially between verses 7 and 11. Now, he's giving an explanation that shows why there should be different, and yet there should be a unit. So, that's the first reason for uh, speaking of what we have just said. A second reason for stating that the message of this section is unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ, that is, the Church of Christ, is because of the comparative clause in the last clause of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Look at it. Now, this is one of those things, I believe, you know... uh, this is my this personal opinion. If you're in this, if you come to this church and you you're sleeping, it means you're not participating. Because as I'm saying, I don't see how you can flip pages and look at clauses, look at what, and go to sleep. That's just what it says to me. So, look at that clause. Look at what the clause is say. It says, "So it is with Christ." Now, we will deal with this clause at the appropriate time but we cited it to indicate that although the apostle focused on body parts in the section we are about to consider, his concern was the unity and diversity in the church of Christ so that clause alone so it is with Christ when you put it together with the many parts and the unity in the body you realize yes the message is indeed concerned with unity and diversity as being essential in the body of Christ. A third reason for stating the message of this section as unity and diversity are essential to the body of Christ, that of course again the church of Christ, is the apostle letter indicated that he is concerned with believers. As members of the Church of Christ, since he plainly stated that the Corinthians and so believers are uh, as members of the Church of Christ. And so they are part of the body, and each believer is a part of it. According to a passage that we'll get to at the appropriate time, that is First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 27, look at verse 27. We'll get to that by the grace of God at the right time. He reads, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. So this Three reasons, then, that we have given justify our presentation of the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, as we did uh, give it. So, with this justification, we proceed now to consider the first subsection of the section uh, that is verses 12 and 13, where we will use a title that reflects Uh, the overall message, as we'll do for each subsection that we study or about to study. So then, here we now, verses 12 and 13, the heading there, or the topic, really the heading should be unity and diversity in the Church of Christ. That should be what should characterize verses 12 and 13 as dealing with unity and diversity in the church of Christ. Again, let me read out those two verses. It says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now recall, we stated that the overall message of this section of 1 Corinthians uh, 12 verses 12 through 26 is unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ. Now this message, then places responsibilities on you as a believer in Christ. Therefore, your first responsibility, based on this subsection of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Your first responsibility is this. You should recognize the unity of And diversity in the church of Christ. You should recognize it. Can wash it away. You should recognize it. You should ignore it. You must recognize it if you are being biblical. Now there are two reasons given in this section of verses 12 and 13 that you should carry out this responsibility Of recognizing the unity and diversity in the church of Christ. Two reasons. The first reason is that the Holy Spirit stated this truth though through Apostle Paul in the very first sentence. Look at at verse 12 again. Look at that first sentence. It said the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts that, the Holy Spirit has said to us, there's unity. There's a unity in the body. Now the second reason is because of the two examples of unity and diversity in Christ provided in verse 13. That's the second reason we know you have that responsibility as a believer. Because we have examples of unity and diversity in the body of Christ provided in verse 13. Because we begin with focus on the first reason given in verse 12. Now the first sentence of verse 12 contain, uh, enables us really to be certain that we are correct in relating the message of 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 through 26 to the Church of Christ and so the responsibility of each of us as members of the Church of Christ. Now we say this because, although again the 1984 edition of the NIV, unlike the 2011 uh, 2011 edition, they now translate the first Greek word in the verse. The Greek uses, or use the word, that tells us that the Apostle, Intended for us to apply the analogy he gave here to the church of Christ. Now you see, the Greek actually begins with a Greek word that is used in an emphatic marker, uh, manner as a marker of comparison between two events and states. Now in our passage, the comparison is made between the human body that the apostle used in his analogy, and the church of Christ, although it is not explicitly stated. See the word body. That's why we begin look at that word because it says the body, according to the NIV. Although we have a, a Greek word that begins uh, that is not translated. Now here I say the word body because he said the body is. A unit. That word "body" is translated from a Greek uh, word that is used both literally and figuratively. Now, literally, it is used for the body of a human being or an animal, as in the instruction of the Lord Jesus, not to be afraid of those who can only kill the body, I mean, kill the body, and that's it, but to be afraid of God who can destroy both the body and soul as stated in Matthew chapter ten verse twenty eight. Matthew Matthew chapter ten verse twenty eight. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He reads, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. That word body is Soma, from the Greek. Who kill the body, they cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now the body, of course, may refer to a dead body or a corpse. As it is used to describe Jesus' declaration recorded for us in Luke chapter 17 verse 37. Luke 17 verse 37. Luke chapter 17 verse 37 it is where Lord they asked he replied where there is a dead body there the vultures will gather now the body may refer to a living body such as the one that is involving sexual immorality as stated in romans chapter one verse twenty four romans chapter one verse twenty four and hold on to romans next passage was also being romans romans chapter one verse twenty four reads, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now figuratively though, the apostle uses the word body to refer to the Christian community. Hence, Apostle Paul tells believers in Rome that they form one body, as recorded for us, they have formed one body in Christ, as stated in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It is so in Christ, we who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now to the Corinthians, of course the apostle, indicated that they are the body of Christ in a passage we started previously, I'm just going to read it and you just listen if you like, you can look. The same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, that I read uh, short, uh, not too long ago, where it says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So that phrase, body of Christ, here in uh, First Corinthians twelve twenty-seven, refers to the church of Christ. As Apostle Paul used that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses Twenty-two to twenty-three. Ephesians chapter one, verses twenty-two to twenty-three. He reads, and God placed all things under His feet. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Look at the next clause, which is his body. So the church is the body of Christ. So the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now the figurative use of the word body may actually mean nature, nature of something. As in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. As it's really used to describe our sinful nature. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Colossians 2, verse 11. And hold on to Colossians because I'm going to read another verse in that chapter. Colossians two chapter two verse eleven reads In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Now the word the Greek word may mean uh, the thing itself. It may mean the thing itself. Or the reality. The same word body can mean the reality. In imagery of a body that casts uh, a shadow, as that's the way the word is used in Colossians 2, that you have. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 reads These are a shadow. ...of the things... ...that were to come. The reality... ...however... ...is found in Christ. Now that's interesting... ...because here the... uh, ...translators of the NIV... had given a literal... ...taking the literal word... ...and giving it a figurative meaning. For example... ...see that clause where it says... ...the reality... ...however... Is found in Christ. You know what the Greek really reads? This is the way it is, And the body is of the Christ. That's all he said. And the body is of the Christ. But here they translate the reality. Which is a meaning, a figurative meaning of the Greek word soma. Now the Greek word may mean physical. Physical. As it is used to describe the needs of a destitute believer that may go and make in James chapter two, verse sixteen. James, chapter two, verse sixteen. James. Chapter 2, verse 16. It reads If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In words, you see a fellow believer. You know you're in a position to do something to help him or her. And you just say, okay, brother, let's just pray. Or, you know, sister, let's pray and let God do that. You say, what's all that for? When God has given you the means to help that person. So that is what we have here. But the, the phrase here, he says, his physical needs. That is literally from the Greek. This is where it reads from the Greek. The things... Needful for the body. That's the way it is in the Greek. The things needful for the body, but the NIV instead of the body just say physical needs, which is a more uh, correct way to look at it. Still hold on, James. Now the Greek word may refer to an entire person, in you know, other body. So, I can refer to an entire person as it is used to describe the corrupting activity of the tongue in James, chapter 3, verse 6. James, chapter 3, verse 6. James, chapter 3, verse 6. 6. It is, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it, it, and is it, itself set on fire by hell. Now, tongue, one of the uh, smallest part of the body, as an organ. Is, can do a lot of damage physically and spiritually. Anyway, the sentence when it's a, it says a corrupts the whole person, that's the tongue corrupts the whole person. Really, if, if you have one of those literal translations of the English Bible, this is what it says defining the whole body. So you wonder how does a tongue defile the whole body? No. What he's talking about is the whole person. So it is clear then that the corrupting influence of the tongue is on the entire person that includes body and soul and not merely the physical body. Because when we, when we uh, say certain things come out of our body, our mouths we cause some problems. For a lot of people. By what we say. Because we're not thinking. And when we do that. We harm a lot of people. And that is what we have here. As what the, uh, the tongue can do. Because um, if you uh, speak things recklessly. Reckless words. They harm somebody uh, tremendously. Anyway in our passage of First Corinthians Uh, 12 verse 12, the Greek word translated soma is used in the sense of the entire structure of an organism, animal, or human being. That is, body as an entire structure. So the body is then described in the NIV, go back to where we're studying, verse 12 again of 1 Corinthians 12. Look at what it says. The body is a unit. The body is a unit. Now that word unit, is translated from a Greek word, that is a numerical term, with the meaning one. One. I a numerical However, there are several senses associated with the basic meaning. The word may mean one with focus on the quantitative aspect of a person or thing. Thus, the Greek word may mean one in contrast to many, as Apostle Paul used the word to indicate that one person, Adam, was responsible for the entrance of sin into the world in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans, and hold on to Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 reads therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all men because all sin here one man, Adam and that's a Greek word we mean one in contrast to many now the word may mean one with focus on uniformity or quality of a single entity. And so, in some passages, the word may then mean one and the same. One and the same. As it is used to describe, the God that justifies both Jews and Gentiles in the same way that is, of course, through faith in Jesus Christ. As we read in Romans, chapter 3, verse 30. Romans, chapter 3, verse 30. It reads, Since there is only one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith, And the answer through the same faith. Now the phrase, only one God, that phrase only one God, may be translated this way, one and the same God. One and the same God. Now the Greek word may mean one in referring to an unspecified entity, so it may mean something like someone, someone, as it is used in the instruction regarding the practice of speaking in tongue in public worship as stated in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. It is, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time. And someone, that was someone is, is a most that, but that was someone is a Greek word that means one or unit. Now a Greek word may be used as a marker of something that is forced as it is used for the first day of the week when Apostle Paul encouraged the Corinthians to make their contributions that were to be given to believers in Jerusalem as recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. So it reads, on the first day, that's how a Greek word now is translated first. So on the first day of each, of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Now in our passage of First Corinthians twelve twelve, the Greek word is used in the sense of one or single unit, in contrast to more than one. Now does then the body of a human being consists of a single unit in contrast to many units. A single unit in contrast to many units. So the fact remains then that the apostle in the analogy of the body wants to convey the unity in the church but not uniformity. Now, we need to differentiate that. He wants to emphasize unity in the church and not uniformity, as that will imply lack of diversity. He's he's talking about unity, but not uniformity. So we need to get that clear. Now, a body is unique in that, although it's a single unit, it contains many parts, as in the Clause of First Corinthians twelve verse twelve when it says, "Though it is made up of many parts, though it's made up of many parts." Now, literally, the Greek of course reads, "and has many parts," and has many parts. The word parts here is translated from a Greek word that literally refers to a part of the human body, and so it means something like body part or limb, body part or limb. As Apostle Paul uses it. In instructing believers about ensuring that no physical part of their bodies is an instrument of sin. As we read in Romans chapter 6 verse 13. Romans 6. Romans 6 verse 13, it is, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Now you can see immediately, we have already seen one of our parts, the tongue. So it should be, when he say, don't offer the parts of your body, we can see an example of that, the tongue. Don't give your tongue to sin, by, you know, by what we say. Say, so do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Now figuratively though, the word may mean member, that is a part of uh, that if that is a part, as a member of a whole, as it is used to describe individual uh, believers as part of the body of, of Christ or the part of the body of, of the church, to whom another believer should endeavor not to lie to, according to Ephesians chapter, five, uh, chapter four, verse twenty-five. Now, a believer is not supposed to lie to any other person, really. But it is more important that the believer should not lie to another believer. Why? Because believers should live in trust of each other. So if they live in trust of each other, they cannot be lied. Because once you lie, you destroy that trust. So here, that's why we have this instruction. Therefore... Each one of you must put off falsehood, that's part of us, whether we admit it or not. The lying is part of our nature. So we must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 really, the Greek word is used in the literal sense of body part. However, in application of the verse we are considering, it refers to individual believers in Christ that constitute his body, that is, the church. So, does then, when the apostle wrote, though it is, in the passage we're in verse 12 of First Corinthians, though it is made up of many parts, or literally the Greeks says, and has many parts. We should then apply that clause to convey that the body of Christ, that is the church, consists of many members, that is, believers. Believers from the church. So in any case, the apostle is concerned with stating the fact of the unity of parts. Of the body, that he emphasized it in the explanation given in the next clause. Look at, we'll go back where we started in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 2. Look at the next clause. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 2, the next clause says, And though all is past, are many, they form one body. Though all, uh, and though all is past, are many, they form one body. Now, literally, the Greek reads this way. This way it is, "And all the parts of the body, be many, are one body." Again, "And all the parts of the body, be many, are one body." And so we contend that the apostle, as far as the second clause, this, that the clause. Uh, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. Now, that explains really the first clause. Look at the first clause where we're starting. The first clause of verse 12, look at where it says, the body is a unit, though it is made of many parts. Now we get to the second, we say that second is explaining the first part. Again, the first part says the body is a unit, though it is made of many parts. And then we read the clause and say, and though all these parts are many, they form one body. So it is explaining that. Now this is because the word and that I use in the second uh, clause and it's literal also is translated from a Greek conjunction that may be used to connect one clause to another, either to express contrast or simple continuation, but in certain occurrences, though, the marker may be left untranslated. Now, although it is often translated, but in the English, when there is uh, a perceived contrast between two clauses, but it has other meanings, such as noun. So, when it is used to link segments of a narrative. Now, it can be used to insert an explanation with the meaning that is, that is, as that is the way that the Apostle Paul uses the Greek particle to explain what Jesus being obedient to death meant in Philippians chapter two, verse eight. Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Speaking of Christ, who humbled himself, uh, left heaven with all his glories, although he is God, he humbled himself, took on human form. Here it's been explained in one way. And it says, "And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient to death. Even. Death on a cross. Now the NIV. uh, Many of our English versions. Use if you notice look at. You have a dash. See this. You see when we we study the Bible. You pay attention to everything. That's why many people just they don't want to go through all that labor and when we don't we miss out the fine details of the scripture so here they really didn't translate it but notice they use a a dash and then the word even in order in their translation of this verse probably to indicate an explanation when they use that dash that's what they were probably trying to do in other words to provide or indicate an explanation or emphasis on the death of Christ on the cross in other words it's not just that he humbled himself that's the issue they look at what he resorted now it's one thing to say I'm a humble person of course when people are humble they don't really say it (laughs) they act it but let's just say, somebody says, I'm a humble person. Well, will you remain humble in the face of threats to your life? That's an issue. Because when our lives are threatened, we come out swinging. As they say, we'll fight. So that's why he's making this issue. He says, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Because that's a horrible way to die. And it's easier if somebody shot, for example, and it's the second has come. Than to hang somebody on a tree for hours and hours in cruciating pain. That's what Christ signed for. He designed the punishment because he knew it's part of his plan. Yeah, so here we are being told yeah, he humbled himself even to the point he, has, he took that that's why he is our savior he has shown us his grace anyway but my point though is here we are looking at a great particle that they are now IV, and many of our English versions are not translated but they use the word dash which means sometimes when you read the Bible and in some of the basics you see dash think about it could he mean, it has the meaning of that is. And that's really what, in, in my judgment, that's what it, it is here. But really, however, the truth of the matter is that the Greek conjunction has a sense of that is, in this particular verse. Now, we, you know, some English versions they always do something to reflect that. Now, the Lexiham uh, the English Bible Reveals this translation. That instead of the verbal phrase of the NIV where it says. Became obedient to death. Dash. Even death on the cross. The Lexham English Bible reads this way. Becoming obedient to the point of death. That is. And that's how they translated the, the Greek word. That. So he said that is dates on a cross, but the, many of our English versions just use dash there. Okay, so it is in the sense of providing explanation then that a the Greek conjunction is used in our passage of First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve. In effect, we are saying that the word and in the clause of uh, the clause of, of second, uh, First Corinthians 12, 12 when it say. And though all his parts are many, they form one body, or literally, and the parts of the body being many are one body, should be translated, instead of that word and there, yeah, it should be translated, that is, to convey that what follows is an explanation. Now, this interpretation, if applied to the clause of the NIV again, that reads, and though all is," Parts are many; they form one body. It would then read something like this: "That is, though all its parts are many, they form one body." Or literally, we can see say that is all the parts of the body being many are one body. Now, that the clause of First Corinthians twelve verse two, uh, twelve, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, is intended to explain the first clause that reads again the body is a unit though it is made of many parts may be seen from the position of the word body in each of these two clauses the position of the body now the word body begins the first clause where it is used whereas it is used as what ends the second clause beginning and here ends it so the the apostle ended the first clause with the sentence "It is made up of many parts." But it picks up the concepts of many parts in the sentence of the second clause: "Is parts are many." So he's explaining it. Does the apostle intended the reader to recognize that the many parts of the body combine to form one body as a unit? He referenced. In the first sentence when he said the body is unit now he explaining all that come up to make that unit so in, in application the apostle wants to emphasize that regardless of the diversity in the body of Christ that all believers combine to form the church of Christ Or the body of Christ. That's his point he wants to emphasize. Now no matter. There are many many members. Regardless of what diversity. Or where we classify them. They all come together. To form one body. A unit. In the body of Christ. That is his point. That yes. Regardless of the diversity. In the body of Christ. That all believers. Combine to form the church of Christ we'll take a break and after the last supper we'll come back and finish with it so please pick up your elements during the break